Welcome to Startup Stories, where we go behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and innovative tech startups in the world. Each episode will bring you in-depth interviews with entrepreneurs and business leaders, sharing their personal stories on success, failure, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur yourself or someone that's just generally interested in the world of startups, then Startup Stories is the perfect place for you to gain insight and inspiration into some of the most exciting players in the game. So sit back, relax, and join us on a journey of Startup Stories. Tavada, great to have you on Startup Stories. My pleasure. So you're the CEO and founder of High Share That since 2018, mm-hmm. Germany's first influencer tech company. Now, you're in this position today, but what I really want to know is I want you to take me back to your childhood so I can understand why you think the way you do from its earliest context. So take me back to your childhood. What was life like growing up for Tivada? I was born in Budapest and I'm living now in Berlin, Germany. Yeah, my father is Hungarian, my mother is German. I was born in Budapest and we went in 89 to Germany. Actually, we were like refugees. Yeah, so back then uh, we tried to get into the Western, <laughs> out of the communism. And yeah, so I grew up in Germany in a little town called Goslar. It's in the Harz Mountains, nearby Wolfenbüttel, which makes the Jägermeister. And I think you know Jägermeister. <laughs> <laughs> I sure do. So I'm coming. Uh, yeah, I grew up in this area. I was always into this hip hop thing. I was listening to a lot of hip hop music. In a very early, in my very early years, I think I started listening to hip hop when I was eight or nine. So I grew up with Wu Tang, Ice T, and all that, yeah, East Coast, West Coast stuff. And um, then I, yeah, I started being a DJ when I was 15 because of this whole hip hop background. And I started recording mixtapes. I was selling mixtapes on the schoolyard. So I, Actually, during this time, I did my first entrepreneur stuff because um, when you create something and you sell something, uh, you always need to do some marketing for yourself. And this is how I yeah, made some yeah, side money when I was young. And with that money, I, I was able to buy myself some Technic turntables and a mixer, new vinyls. And then I started playing in clubs when I was 16 or 17. Actually, the bouncer didn't want to let me in to get into the club because I was under 18. I, I told this guy, hey, yo, I'm playing tonight. Uh, this was my uh, first gig when I didn't came into the club where I was booked. And uh, yeah, then uh, with the age of 18, I finished my high school. I went to Hanover. It's the nearest town in this area, the nearest biggest town. Uh, and I studied business economic there. So I was always involved in the music industry. And then I moved to Berlin to work in the music industry. And I was uh, working for Universal Music back then. Yeah. So these are the milestones of my childhood. Thanks for that introduction. This really gave me some great context. The first thing I wanted to pick out from what you were just saying was you said that you was a refugee basically from Budapest and you came over. What age were you? Three. You were fr- just three years old. So I, yeah, I- three years. Um, my, my parents, um, as my mother was um, German and um, my father Hungarian, there wasn't 
this connection between both countries. So they had the opportunity to visit my auntie in West Germany without having any trouble. So they took me with them and they never came back. So they just left everything there. So do you, I know that you were only free, but do you remember it at all? I remember when I was in this camp where everybody from East Germany needs to go. And yeah, I remember this days. Okay. But it wasn't a long time. It was maybe five days. Uh, it's not like a typical refugee camp nowadays, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, the Western were open for getting the people from East Germany or from the Eastern side. Uh, it's not like nowadays. And then you talk about your love for hip hop music from the age of eight or nine. And then just seven or eight years later, <laughs> you're doing your first gig at 16. Now, where did that confidence come from? Look, you're going to a, a mm -hmm. club or a gig and, and you're, and you're going to perform at 16 years of age. <laughs> yeah. I don't know many people that would be willing to go do that in, a, in front of a whether it's a small crowd or a big crowd. It's, it's still a crowd altogether. Where does that confidence come from? So back then I had a babysitter. My babysitter back then was listening to uh, hip hop music and he was 17, 18. So he played it every time when he needed to take care about me. And yeah, so this is how I came into this underground scene back then. I always wanted to have the same clothes like this guy on the vinyl covers and so on. And always wanted to make the same sounds. What what those DJs make. And then actually, yeah, I started rapping with him by just fun. And then one step came up after the another. So I started creating my first group with some yeah, kids in the school. And uh, we called us, we had a name. Then we get like more and more involved into this hip hop scene. And um, there were always the big kids uh, who created the first hip hop jams. And we went there, started freestyling. After the second freestyle, they said like, hey, do you want to have the, a gig next time? So, and then at, this, at the next hip hop jam, we were on the flyer. So we had our first gig. Then everybody liked us, liked our music. Then I started buying myself some vinyls instead of uh, buying action figure, wrestling figures, you know this? Oh, yes, yes, yes. WWE. <laughs> WWE stuff. But instead of doing this, I bought myself some vinyls. So I always wanted to have the freshest music for the next hip hop jam. And then some club owners saw me on the hip hop jam. He invited me. So I started uh, to play in his club as a yeah, as warm up DJ. Then just people came for me for the warm up. Nobody wanted to hear the headliner. And then one came after the other. So I ended up playing international gigs from Berlin till Paris, um, a lot of uh, in Czech Republic, Budapest um, and so on. That's a really interesting story. So it sounds like to me, it was a progressive growth of confidence, right? If you could impress your friends at school with your group, I imagine your friends are probably the hardest people to impress because they're going to be your biggest critics. Yeah, the, the hip hop scene is built on that ground. So there's always competition. You always uh, want to show other people that you are the best. And these are the days before Instagram and so on, you know? Mm -hmm. So you needed to go out and show what, what's your talent. Nowadays, actually, a lot of people are acting that they have a talent and post themselves in a fake position on Instagram and that's it. And then they get famous without having any type of 
real skills. I mean, it's also a type of skill to fake it. <laughs> But yeah, in the hip hop scene, you need to be good in something, either in rapping, either in producing or break dancing or graffiti or DJing. And if you are not good, you don't get respect. And if you get respect, then you get booked and then people come to the to your gigs and so on. So it's getting bigger and bigger. All right. Interesting. So tell me about the transition mm -hmm. from when you were 16, doing your first gig, your love of hip hop music, you traveled around Europe, uh, cool places, but then you all of a sudden, years later, you're the founder and CEO of High Share mm -hmm. That. Tell me about that transition. How did it come about? So I earned very good money during my between 16 and 25. So I didn't need to work as a delivery guy somewhere uh, uh, or doing all this annoying student jobs uh, stuff. So when I was studying business economic in Hannover, I always had this DJ life beside my study. So when I moved to Berlin and I worked for the music industry, I came into the office on Monday morning and my boss asked me like, how was your weekend? And I actually, I had a second life because I couldn't told him that I was partying through three different cities um, over three days. You know what I mean? So it was fine in the beginning, but after six months or almost a year, um, you can't do this equally. You can't live two lives at the same time. So I needed to decide in which direction I want to go. And I decided to stop being a professional DJ. Also from my background, my family are just normal workers. There is no entrepreneur in it. There are no businessmen. They were working in factories and so on. So I was the first person in my family who studied and who was able to finish my study. So I need to decide which path I'm going to go into the future. So I said, okay, I have now a diploma in a business economic. So should I go into this conservative direction or should I stay being a professional DJ? And then, yeah, I said, okay, I do this business side of my life and um, start working in marketing professionally. And you can just do it when you have the capacity of 100% to get good in, in, in your job. And I couldn't hold this by doing the DJ stuff at the same time. So, yeah, I started as a trainee, worked for different companies, also for big publishers. Then I was a team lead after three years and I did a really good job. So my boss, bosses told me always that I do a good job, but I was ne never really happy. Either I was missing the DJ time or I need to change something in my life because I didn't want to work 40, 45 years for somebody else and make him more than less rich. You know what I mean? Something was missing. And maybe during this time, something came back from my youth where I was selling those mixtapes in the schoolyard. I love this real push uh, or this, um, yeah, it's, I think it's entrepreneur. That's, that's this entrepreneur stuff, what everybody's talking about. So I have this inside of me. So that's why I connected with, during this time, I connected with my kindergarten friend, Sylvia. 
She was back then head of marketing of a fashion company called New Yorker. I'm not sure if you know this. I do. Yeah. So she took care of about 45 countries. And I called her and said like, hey, Sylvia, I have a very nice career so far, but I'm not really happy. Everybody told, tells me or told me you do a good job, but something is missing. And she was exactly in the same situation. We were both and 20s, so 29, 30. And she said, she said, you know what? Let's create an own company. And she can speak so well. She's a real salesperson, very dynamic woman. And I'm more geeky, the geeky guy who's in the back and um, doing all this number stuff uh, during my marketing yeah, roles. And I told her, you know, you can sell things very good. I can do this marketing stuff. Very good. So let's do it. Let's create an agency. And then we started a very small agency in a coffee kitchen without any big investment. She had a connection from a guy who gave us 50k for starting everything. So we paid ourselves very low salaries for the first year. So we shared 50k. <laughs> But we had a positive return of investment after three months. And then it grows till now. And um, did you believe from the very start that it was going to work? What sort of emotions did you experience during that startup phase? Yeah, so Sylvia needed to push me back then to get out of my comfort zone a little bit. Even if I wasn't happy, she said like, hey, if we fail on this, your CV is so good, you can always go back. You can always get employed again. Everybody going to take you back with your CV so far. So you went straight from university, the first jobs, there was no gap in between. And I always kept these words in my mind, like, hey, if we're gonna fail on this, I always want to say other words, uh, if we're gonna fail on this, I'm can, I can go back. I can go back to the normal, boring life of an employer. Yeah, and you could always try again as well. I always say you never fail if you don't give up. Yes. Yeah, I hear this a lot of times and I also read this a lot of times that um, <laughs> you need to fail. And I'm so far, I think like, where is the, when do I fail? Because so far I didn't fail. And I'm a little bit scared because I read this everywhere. You need to fail. You need to fail here and you need to stand up again. And, uh, but I didn't fail so far. So I think like, oh my God, I hope I will not fail at the, at my highest point. Because as, as higher you are in your career and you fail the first time, as harder it hits, you know. But have you had setbacks and big challenges? Yeah, I mean, every day is a challenge. Yeah, it, it depends on how you handle challenges. There are some people out there who don't see a challenge as a challenge. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, there is a problem and I solved this. And there are other people out there who see a challenge and they completely done for a week or a month. So like, oh, how can I handle this? And it varies from, from each person. For some people, it's a challenge to do the tax, the yearly taxes. Yeah. And there are other people who see a, um, a lawsuit as a big challenge, for example. Yeah. It depends on the person. But when you're always uh, on your own feet and you always try to make money and be successful, every challenge is less scary. Yeah, you get used to it, right? Yeah, you get used to it. Yeah, I think the, the term you need to fail 
to know or to grow. Um, I think it's slightly misused. So when you were saying about you haven't failed yet, but I don't think the business needs to fail for you to be better in another business necessarily. I think the correct understanding is that along the way of setting that business up, you're going to come across hurdles and setbacks all the time. They are Those are mini failures, but then you create the solution and you keep going. Whereas a lot of people, as I say, I think something like 90, 90% of businesses fail in the first five years, something like that, some crazy stat. Mm-hmm. So that when, it, when they actually give up, that would be the true failure. But during those five years, you're still failing throughout the whole way. And then um, when I relate it to my business, I feel like the best things that's ever happened in our business is when we failed at something or uh, we faced a huge problem. We're like, right, we've got to go back to the drawing board and think this all over completely and, and do it entirely differently. And every time that happens, we have a much better outcome, but we would never have changed that if it was plain sailing the whole way. So hi, share that. So you founded this mm-hmm. business with Sylvia. Mm-hmm. So tell me about what the business does exactly and what they are. And mm-hmm. where did the idea about this business come from? Yeah. So it's a longer stories. My last position when I was employed, I was working for an agency uh, and the agency focused on mobile marketing back then. So it was 2015. And in 2015, this mobile marketing was the buzzword on the market. Um, Everybody needed to create apps. Everybody wanted to promote their apps, but nobody really thought about the business behind those apps or the possibilities about these apps. So um, my agents, uh, the agency where I was employed promoted those apps and most of the clients didn't have proper KPIs. So let's say there was an e-commerce shop and they said, okay, we need to invest 100K for our app marketing because we want that people are downloading our app. And they went to agencies said like, hey, please buy for this app traffic out there which creates new user. So we sold CPIs, cost per installs. Problem for most of those advertisers was that they just thought they didn't have proper post-install events. So their main KPI was just create an install for me. And my boss back then didn't ask those clients, hey, but do you really just want to have the installs or should those users who create the installs, do something afterwards. And as bigger the company is, as um, less questions you get from those people who spent the money there. So most of them didn't have a proper KPI and we delivered just installs. So when they received, let's say, out of 100K, 50,000 installs, the advertisers were not really happy because they didn't communicate properly KPIs to the agencies or to the publishers. So they received their 50,000 installs, but those installs were not really active. Those users were not, not really yeah, active in the app. So they had the feeling that they burned the money. So you could solve this immediately by going to those clients and said like, hey, what do you really want to achieve by spending 100,000 euro for your product or for your app? And with those, with this conversation, you can create a successful marketing campaign. But my boss back then didn't do it. He made very nice margins because there was no KPI of having active users behind this. And I saw this big 
gap of knowledge in the whole industry. And it was an industry which was growing and growing. So I decided to create my own business by creating this agency who starts asking the right questions and develop together with the advertiser proper KPIs for their marketing spendings and for their products. So we got the first clients and we made or created much better results with 10K compared to their other publishers where they spent 90K. And this is how we grow and got bigger and bigger. And back then it was just normal banner advertisement on Facebook, social media advertising, all those fancy banners, click here, download me here, uh, and, and those pop-ups. So it worked very well, but after two or three years, we figured out that we don't reach younger people. And I think you are also banner blind any, uh, already. So when we are on a website, we don't see those fancy looking banners everywhere. Even if they pop up, we immediately click them away. And I think this is yeah, a big problem on the, um, for this advertising industry. And that's why we cr uh, try to pay influencers based on performance models. And it worked out pretty well. Then we saw, okay, this whole influencer industry doesn't have proper KPIs. So they are not performance focused. Because most of the influencer agency have a branding background and their main KPIs is engagement rate, which is the, from my perspective, the most silliest KPI on the market because it's not a type of, or it's not a success when an influencer who posts something on Instagram receives comments about his hair when he promotes a, a Coke, for example. So. We said, as we are coming from this performance direction, we were pretty successful because all those advertisers liked how we created those influencers campaigns. And this is the whole story about High Shared So um, we are now a platform where advertisers can sign up and influencers can sign up and both sides just pay based on performance KPIs. So CPC, CPI, CPA, CPR, CPO, all those CPX things. And you started this business in 2018, is that right? Yes. What has life like been for you since becoming a founder of your own company? It was pretty cool till I had the first employees. <laughs> so um, um, all those founders out there who's, uh, who are in those shared co-space, uh, co-working spaces, I think enjoy, the, enjoy this time because if your business is growing and you has, have your first employees, then it's getting stressful because you need to handle problems from young people where you really think like, oh, is this real now? Are you really <laughs> see this as a problem in your life? Be happy that you have a job and that you're working in an atmosphere or in an environment where you don't need to work eight hours straight on your desk, being in an office and so on. And uh, this whole new generation has a huge problem by being concentrated and being motivated and um, create a certain type of drive. What, what for me was always there because of this hip hop thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but this newer generation doesn't have the opportunity to create drive within their self. 
within their personality. And that's why every third employee needs to go to a therapy or something like that, because they have a lot of problems by finding the right way to live. Yeah. What do you think has caused that? Social media? Definitely. Definitely. Even if I'm, I have a social media company, basically, I'm absolutely not active on social media. I learned for myself keeping um, moments and situation for myself. And I really enjoy it. When I have like a really awesome steak on my, on my, uh, in a restaurant, I don't share this moment. It's my moment. You know, I found the steakhouse and I enjoy the steak by myself. Or when I'm on a pretty awesome place on somewhere on the earth, I don't want to share it because it's, I want to keep it by myself for myself. It's just mine, you know, and I save this in my brain or maybe I just do a picture on my uh, um, smartphone, but I don't share it. I don't have the need to share it. You know, I don't need to make other people jealous or actually it's somehow just about making people jealous. Look what I have and what you don't have. Like what I do. Say something about what I do now. Leave a comment. This is, from my perspective, crazy. And if you don't get this response, let's say you can't afford yourself traveling to fancy places on earth, you get depressive. You don't create some kind of drive. Oh, I want to do the same. So that's why I start my business now. Many people get depressed because they see what other people do or what type of other people, what type of life other people live. Even if they fake it, they sit in their homes and like, oh yeah, I'm here. And yeah, I like it for you because you asked me to do it, but this is my life. My life is shit. I work like every every week 40 hours to pay my rent and you know there's no drive yeah i have to say i completely agree with everything you just said thanks <laughs> myself and my brother are very similar in in the mindset like we love to do outdoor things and stuff like that and you're absolutely right i'm 29 now so I've, i feel like i grew up in the perfect time where i grew up just before the big rise of social media and necessarily, you know, how big the internet is today. But also, you know, in the same generation, I, I grew up knowing about technology. So I've got a bit of both, but I understand two lives, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So yeah. growing up in my teens, my friends and my brothers, we would spend all day over the fields in the park, climbing trees for hours on end until the sun went down or playing football all day long until the sun went down. Uh, I think children nowadays are very much glued to, to, to their tablets, to, the, to their PlayStation and stuff like that. So it's all stemmed from their early childhood so that when they do go out into the working world, they, they still have that short attention span or little motivation because it's not instantaneous. That's why, you know, when you go on YouTube, the likes of shorts or these reels they're all 10 second clips because people want to know information now they won't watch long format podcasts like this they may look at this and think well I'm, i'm not watching 45 minutes to an hour of a video i just want to know the best bits so yeah totally agree with what you're saying yeah yeah and also people think they learned out of something what they just saw for five minutes they <laughs> they watch some youtube tutorials 
like let's say three YouTube tutorials of how to use ChatGPT4 and then they call themselves on LinkedIn I'm a ChatGPT uh, pro expert and so yeah. on. So they didn't learn to work constantly on skills and they think, especially this newer generation, they immediately think they can do everything very good and the quality the quality standards gets lower and lower. I receive every day 50 applications and I read those CVs and they claim to do everything. They say like, I'm a professional in Photoshop and so on. They give themselves five out of five points. And if you give them a Photoshop and say like, okay, show me some of your Photoshop skills, they can do two basic things and that's it. <laughs> yeah. This is crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say that you can't do everything. Of course, you can learn everything, but you need to be patient and work constantly at least a year, two years of doing this before you go out there and tell the world that you're pro in it. Completely agree. What's been the best thing about your journey so far with High Share that? Best thing. Best thing is. Yeah, there's a funny thing. Uh, um, every time when we have um, a summer party or Christmas party or a team event, Sylvia looks at me and said like, hey, look at this. We have now 45 people here bootstrapped without external money who believe in the same thing what we do. And we created all this. We are responsible for families. We are responsible for People who need this type of work for having an apartment or having food on their tables. So, and nobody said thank you for this so far. So no government helped us properly. In Germany, you immediately go to jail if you do one mistake in your taxes. <laughs> But nobody from the government in Germany said like, hey, cool that you did a business and be responsible for 45 people out there that they have a job and live a proper life and pay the taxes for our state. And yeah, this is sometimes, yeah, you feel really free and responsible in this type of situation. You say like, okay, this is, some, this is nice. Everything makes sense. Yeah. I like that. There's almost an element of like feeling like you're giving back to others. As you said, you've create, effectively created a livelihood for them. Yes, yes, without any help. Without any help. Yeah, as you said, you were bootstrapped from the very beginning. Zero investment, which is amazing. And, and you, you reinvested everything you've earned as well, pretty much. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So we are now in the seventh year and we reinvested like every year, every profit again and again. Uh, we always stayed humble with our salaries, which is especially after last year, very difficult to explain a senior marketing manager why he can't earn more than actually the owner. <laughs> 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 I mean, he can, he can, but why it's not working in our company? Like, yeah. Well, I really I mean, respect. The proper sales manager deserves, of course, a very high salary if he brings revenue into the company. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. What you're worth is a translation of what value you bring to the company, right? Yeah. Well, sounds pretty cool. And I, I really resonate with that. So, When you think about your whole experience, is there any one moment where you were like, that was the toughest moment of my career so far? 
toughest moment. Yes, there was a client. It was a daughter company from a big bank. And I wanted to go into this tech finance stuff. So they were pretty big spender for us. So they spent a lot of marketing budget with our company. And then they went bankruptcy. And there was an open invoice about quarter million. And when you're really dependent on your cash flow and you don't have five millions on your bank account, you really need every invoice getting paid. So this was a really tough moment, but we made it. It was a long negotiation phase, but we made it that they paid us uh, in the end of the day. But there we were, were like not far away of not being able to pay the salaries for this month. Um, wow. But we ma made it in the last moment. It was very hard, tough week for us, <laughs> but it worked out. If you had not have gotten that invoice, what would that have meant for high share that? I mean, as we are always profitable and also in this year, when, when this happened, we did very nice revenues. Every bank would give us immediately money for, um, for a month or for six months. So just for getting the cash flow a little bit more healthier. So there were, wouldn't, wouldn't be big consequences, gotcha. um, but it was a week where I really couldn't sleep because like I said, when you're responsible families and lives, then it's a different type of situation. What, um, just an entrepreneur can say how it feels. Yeah. So what are your goals and ambitions for high share that how far do you want to take it? Uh, we are now in four countries. We are now in Germany, Italy, France, and Austria, uh, five in Switzerland and five countries. And we have a proof of concept and we're growing constantly. And I think our product can work internationally. So we want to grow further and I want to be the platform where advertisers and influencers sign up and do proper marketing campaigns. And I think it's possible. I'm pretty sure that it's going to work out. I'm very confident about this product. There are no competitors out there where I'm scared of. Yeah. So I'm pretty confident what I created with my team in the last five years. Yeah. So many people would be happy where, where you've got to, in fact, more than happy where you've got to. Mm -hmm. So what motivates you still? Tell me about your personal motivators. What, why do you do what you do and what gets you out of bed in the morning? still mm, yeah of course i like making money yeah that's uh, not not a secret and you can decide as an entrepreneur either you suck the money out of a company immediately by high salaries but then you're gonna end up in a situation where you don't have enough cash flow or you believe in a big thing and you cash out on a big scale then so either you pay yourself 150k per month uh, per year year for for year and year and you increase it till 200k or you believe in the in the big picture and either sell your company in, in a certain point or you yeah grow with other companies together and make the big money uh, in the end yeah after not after two years not after three years but maybe after eight or nine years and is that in the plan for you in the long run of course i'm gonna make 
uh, of course, my plan is to make a lot of money. Yeah. So throughout your journey, what is the most important lesson that you've learned? Be humble, work constantly on something what you really believe. Just spend your lifetime for something what you really believe in. Don't work for a company where you don't like the product, where you don't stand behind the philosophy or the ethic things. It won't make you happy. have to agree with you there. Uh, one of our guests, Heiner, uh, on episode two, he also said the same thing. He said the most important thing is that you love the product. Otherwise, you won't be motivated. You won't be ambitious about working for that product. So I completely agree with you. All right. Well, Tevada, loved hearing all about your story and your journey from the DJing days of hip hop right through to where high share that are now with 45 employees. You should be really proud of how far you've taken the company. And uh, I look forward to continuing following the journey and seeing how far you can go. Yeah, uh, I can promise you uh, this year will be very nice for us. So keep following our story and maybe we speak in three, four years again. <laughs> and then uh, we see what's happened. Sure, I sure will. If anybody wants to sort of follow the company's updates or their movements or yourself, is there a, a particular platform that they should go to? Yes, yeah, so either you check highsharethat.com or you check out our company on LinkedIn, where we're going to post in the future a little bit more content about us. And um, yeah, I think all you Googlers, yeah, do something for our SEO ranking. <laughs> Brilliant. Tivada, yeah. thank you very much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup Stories. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning more about their journey in the startup world. I'll be back soon with another exciting episode featuring a new guest. So make sure to subscribe to Startup Stories so you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to follow me on social media for updates and additional content. And if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to me. And as always, I appreciate your support and feedback. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.